The Bible says that a myriad of angels uh, rejoice when one sinner repents. And uh, after doing all this baptism and I was standing over there in the back while we were singing our last praise song, um, I just pictured Gabriel just taking a lap around the throne this morning just because autumn's in the kingdom and that's worth celebrating and that's incredible and that's just the way my brain works. So um, thank you so much for being here this morning. I want to celebrate a couple things uh, real quick as a church family. This next week we're going to reveal our big give total. Uh, big give was two weeks ago, so thank you for those that prayed for the big give, for those of you that were able to contribute to the big give. And uh, God showed off, as Ephesians said, exceedingly, abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. And uh, the Lord was very kind, and that came through the generosity of many people in our church. This past week, we were also able to continue our partnership with the Welcome Warehouse. They were with us three weeks ago. They got a new director this past week, and so we got to spend some time with her this past Thursday and um, took somebody from our church with us to do deliveries. But just to give you a kind of a glimpse, I think we have that photo, maybe. Do we have the photo of the Welcome Warehouse, Jacob? There it is. Um, so we delivered over 20 beds and furniture, and that's just half of the stuff right there to families uh, right here locally and across northwest Columbus. Uh, one lady, it was, it was heartbreaking, but also a time of rejoicing as well. When we walked into their apartment, they just moved here from Florida, and we come walking in with a king bed and a couple queen beds and a television and uh a couch and a washer and a dryer. Like, it was incredible what they were able to do. And we walk in, she threw her hands up, and she said, thank God I finally have a bed. I've been sleeping on the floor for over a month. And this is a lady with just a little young child as well. And so um, being part of this church, you have a part in that. And if you ever want to participate in that with us, please let us know. Um, it will literally change your life. Uh, I also want to say thank you to those that have been praying uh, with my interaction with some of the Mormon missionaries recently. Um, got to meet with them again this past Wednesday for a little over an hour and just sit and talk and ask questions. And to the glory of God, towards about uh, the end of our conversation, about 45 minutes in, one of those Mormon missionaries leaned over the table at me and he said, Aaron, I've got a question for you. I said, yeah, how do I get saved in what you believe? And friends, we were able to take about 10 or 15 minutes and just walk very clearly through the gospel. And they asked questions on the, that kind of journey. And we got to the very end of it. And both of those young men looked at me and said, we've never heard it put that way before. I'm thinking, come on, Jesus, what are you going to do here? So they're still trying to convert me. I haven't given in yet. Don't worry. <laughs> But uh, they invited me to their Thanksgiving service. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to go, but we'll, we'll see. I, maybe I will. Who knows? So if I come back one week and I say this is a Mormon church, fire me. All right, real fast, all right? That's, that wouldn't be okay. All right, if you have a copy of God's Word, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3 this morning. Ephesians chapter 3 as we continue the series that we do every November called Own the Vision. And uh, we take it from different angles each year, just trying to bring clarity to uh, what God has called us to do as a church, why we do what we do as a congregation. And uh, I'll explain a little bit what we talked about last week in just a moment. But if you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's word, Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 10. As Paul writes this letter to the church in Ephesus, here's what he says, starting in verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. You have heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that he gave to me for you? The mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above. By reading this, you're able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Verse 6. 
The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ, to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Verse 10, this is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for this morning, for this time, God, for a day of celebration. Jesus, I pray now as we walk through these verses in Ephesians that your spirit would rest on us. Father, give us those ears we need to hear your word, hearts to receive it, hands and feet to live out the things you teach us as we seek to walk close to Jesus. Thanks for the cross. May we never get over it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Let's imagine for just a moment that at the end of our service today that somebody in the church walked up to you and they gifted you with a 10-day cruise to the Caribbean. Now, P.S., if you're passing those out today, please see me after the end of the church. But let's just pretend that for, for a moment. And upon embarking on that cruise a couple weeks from now, you get on the boat, you make your way to your room, you unpack your things, and you begin to enjoy all that this cruise has to offer. The endless buffets, swimming pools all over the place, the shows that are going on all of the time as you're enjoying this cruise. But roughly five days into this 10-day cruise, you begin to realize something. But you haven't stopped at any destinations at this point. In fact, five days into this cruise, that man, you're enjoying it, and you're enjoying being on the ship. You realize that you really haven't even seen land at all. In fact, it just seems like you've been wandering in the ocean for five days. You then make your way to the captain's quarters because you're thinking, well, this can't be right. Five days into a 10-day cruise, we should have at least made some stops at, at this point. And when you get to see the captain, you say to the captain, you say, um, Sir, I, I don't mean to complain. I don't mean to bring this up. But it seems like we've been at sea for quite a while now. And we should have arrived at one of our destinations, shouldn't we? Can you explain that to me? When do you plan to arrive? And the captain responds with these words. Plans? I don't make any plans. I just trust, the, trust God to guide the boat through the wind and the waves to the right destination. You know, if a captain of a cruise ship ever said that to you, you'd probably look at him and go, you're an idiot. That's just ridiculous, and it doesn't make sense, and no viable captain, no captain that you would want to be on his ship would ever guide a ship that way. Yet, how often do we do that with our churches? Where we don't set course for a specific destination so that we know where we're headed, what the plans are, where we're going from here. And so our goal with this series is to really give some clarity to what God has called us to do, why we do certain things that we do, and where we're going to be heading from here. We've often heard it said before that a fail to plan is what? A plan to fail. We've all heard that phrase before. And the church is no different. And so now in week two of this Own the Vision series, we want to leave with more of a clear understanding of what God has called this local church, Living Host Columbus, to do. We said last week we believe with all of our hearts that God has called us to play a role in transforming the spiritual landscape of Northwest Columbus for generations to come. 
Friends, we, we, we've said this more times than I can count, that from where we are seated right now in this building, if we were to draw a five-mile circle that would encompass several communities across Northwest Columbus, that there's over 200,000 people right now that do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If that doesn't break our hearts, I don't know what will. Nine out of ten people within that five-mile circle do not identify with Jesus in any way, shape, or form, which means that they're heading for an eternity apart from him. And we're just crazy enough to believe. We started this church because we're crazy enough to believe that maybe, just maybe, we could turn that spiritual dial a little bit and make that 200,000 number go down. We're going to play our role in the big picture that is the gospel in Northwest Columbus. And we think that God can and will do that through us. So we've been talking about the, our values as a church, those guardrails that we want to stay in. We can do a lot of good things. We want to do great things and let them guide us to the destinations in which the Lord has called us. The very first of the year, we're actually going to lay out some very clear steps on where we think God is taking us for 2020. Uh, last year, around this time, we presented to our church what we called a vision frame. It was some like three to six month goals, one year goals and 18 month goals. And uh, when we show that to you in January again, you'll see that every one of those things we've been able to do as a congregation. Why? Because when you lay out clear plans, it gives you a direction and you can achieve certain goals. The church is no different. Sometimes we spiritualize things and say, we're just going to trust the Lord. That's good, but don't be silly about it, right? God says that there's, you know, we need to plan. We need to counsel or uh, have a multitude of counselors and make plans. That's good. Who builds a tower with first counting, without first counting the cost? It's important for us to do. So last week we talked about this idea that as a congregation we are for the gospel. We are for the gospel as a church. What does that mean? That we'll always elevate and celebrate the finished work of Jesus. Why do we do that? Because without the gospel there's no hope. We said last week that people try to find hope in so many different things, whether it be through media, relationships, jobs, stuff. We, we try to fill voids in our hearts that can only be filled by Jesus. And the church is the outpost where people can find hope. We gather on Sundays to disperse Monday through Saturday so people can find hope. Our name is not on accident. We believe living hope is found only in Jesus. That's why we're for the gospel. And today we want to talk about why we are a church that is for the church. Why we put so much emphasis on the gathering of the body of Christ. Why do we do that? And here's the statement that we use with that. That we will always equip and send the local church to live on mission. We're going to explain that a little bit more in just a moment. It's simple, but why, why do we believe this is important? Why do we believe it's important to be in community with other believers throughout the week? Friends, there's theological implications in this book that if we don't get right about the local church and our involvement in it, um, we miss a lot. Jesus has a lot to say about what the local church should do so that you can be an equipping and sending center, so that we can do those things that Jesus has called us to do. So let's take the lens. We're going to zoom it in on three things real quick to help us understand now, the why behind the function of the church. And Devin made this statement. We didn't plan this, which I think is neat how the Lord works. Why do, we, why do we do all of these things? Here it is. We do all these things as a church because when the people see the church in its proper function, they see the invisible God made visible. They see the gospel manifested. When we get this right, people can see Jesus. Jesus was confined to an earthly body while he was on this earth. But he tells us what? It's good that I go so the comforter could come and you're going to do greater things than I ever did. If we really believe that, 
That means Jesus is in me and he's in you and he's in you and he's in you. He's not confined to one body anymore, but multiple bodies. So when we get this right, we can literally do amazing things to change the spiritual landscape of this city. If you can't tell, I'm a little excited about this, so I'll try to tone it down. No, I won't. All right, here we go. Three things I want us to zoom in on real quick. Identification with the church is personal. Identification is personal. Look at, look at how Paul starts this chapter, Ephesians 3.2. He says, you have heard, haven't you? It's a rhetorical question. About the administration of God's grace that he gave to me for you. Paul starts off in this chapter as he's writing to this Ephesian church. He says, hey, um, you've heard about the gospel, right? You've heard about God's grace that is made available to you that I told you about, Right? In verse 3, Paul calls this, if you look in, in your Bible, you can see he calls it this mystery made known by revelation. That word mystery that we uh, translate there, we often think of like a mystery movie or a mystery novel or an unsolved mystery. That's this idea that there's something going on that we just can't figure out. It's impossible to figure out. It's a mystery. In the biblical sense, when Paul uses this word, it actually means something that was previously unknown that is now known. They didn't fully grasp it back then, but now they fully get it. You see, friends, I think often we forget that God's plan has always been Jesus. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Jump back there with me real quick. Adam and Eve have just recently fallen. They chose the fruit that God told them not to eat. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, this is the first time that Jesus is ever mentioned in the Bible. Genesis 3, verse 15, as, Jesus, or as God is pronouncing this curse over mankind, that's what sin does. It brings a curse. That's why Jesus had to die. But in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, as, as God is pronouncing a curse over the, certain, uh, the serpent, over Satan, look at what he says, 15, the second half. He, who's that referring to? That's Jesus as Jesus, he's going to come in the future, Jesus will strike your head, he's talking to Satan, and you will strike his heel. Check it out. If somebody strikes my heel with some sort of weapon, what's going to happen to me? Ouch. If somebody strikes me in the head, what's going to happen? You're done. So God, as he's pronouncing this curse over the devil, says, yeah, someday you're going to strike the heel of the Messiah I'm going to send. How did Satan do that? The death on the cross. But through that death, what happened? God used that to strike the head of Satan and completely defeat him. So when Paul talks about this mystery that was previously unknown, he's talking about the gospel. He's talking about Jesus. You see, before Jesus came in flesh, we only had parts of the plan. We had things like Genesis 3.15, which the Jews would read and they'd go, okay, we think that's about the Messiah, but we're not really sure how that's going to manifest itself, what it's actually going to look like. But then this divine mystery was revealed through Jesus. The divine mystery came to pass on the cross when Jesus died. God becoming man, dying for men. And when we believe in him, we can now have eternal life. But in Jesus' death, and this is where it's important for us this morning, a new organization was formed. That is the church. The church doesn't show up until the book of Acts. It didn't exist in the Old Testament. The term was never used. The organization had never formed. But with Jesus' death, when he died on the cross, and then those apostles and those 3,000 people put their faith in what Jesus did, a new organization was formed called the church. Before this, if you wanted to be the people of God, you had to become a Jew. You had to go through the process of becoming Jewish. Thank God, right? You don't have to do that anymore. Now it's you become part of the church. You don't have to become Jewish. You just become part of the church. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, 
that Jesus removes this dividing wall. What's he saying? Uh, Gentiles, you don't have to become Jewish. You can stay Gentile and you can be part of this new organization that has been formed called the church. doesn't matter your ethnic background. doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done. You're invited into this new family called the church. Look at verse 3, Ephesians, or I'm sorry, yeah, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3. Paul says, as I've, I've previously written above, so he's referring to chapter 2, he lays out the gospel for us. And in chapter 2, if you were to read all the way through that, you would see that Paul is making the case that you have to personally identify with Jesus. Watch this. Nobody gets into heaven on the coattails of somebody else. You're not going to get into heaven because your mama or your daddy was saved, because your grandpa, your aunt, or your uncle. You don't get to heaven because your grandpa was a pastor of a church somewhere. You don't get to heaven because uh, it, it doesn't work that way. You get to heaven because you personally identify with Jesus on your own. When Autumn got baptized, she told me yesterday with her mother sitting in the room that I made the decision at a camp this past summer to follow Jesus Christ. It wasn't because mom's saved, dad's saved, or brothers are saved. It's because she made the decision to follow after Jesus. Not because anybody else did. She has great examples, but she made the decision personally. I have to first personally identify with Jesus. Ephesians 2 verse 8. Paul says, you're saved by grace through faith. What is that? That's a personal decision. It's not from yourselves. It's God's gift. So when I identify with Jesus, what automatically happens? And the Bible makes this clear here in Ephesians chapter 2 and 3. I then also get to identify with the organization he formed called the church. If I'm part of Jesus' body, I'm automatically part of the church that he formed. It's like if you were to roll up to, uh, what's that place with the candles and the soaps? Um, Bath, 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 bath and Body Works? That's it, Bath and Body Works. Think of Bed, Bath, and Beyond. So you're up to Bed, Bath, and Body. Body, I can't even say it, but you all know what I'm talking about. And you go there because they're offering a candle sale, and you get three for $45 because that's a great deal. <laughs> Kidding me. It is. <laughs> so you come rolling in there, and you go to check out at your, your candles because it's the holiday season. you got to get your house smelling like, like a pine tree. All right? I, I feel you. I love it. But you go up in there, and as you're checking out, what do they, all, what do they always ask you for? Can I get your email? Can I get your email? Every retailer this season, can I get your email? Can I get your email? And at that moment, you're stuck with a choice. You can say yes, and then what happens? You become part of a bigger family where you're getting 16 emails a day from Bath and Body Works, finding out about all the sales that they have on soaps and candles and all the stuff that you don't really need. Or you can choose not to. But when you make the conscious decision of, I'm going to opt into that, all of a sudden you become part of a bigger organization where you get all their stuff too. That's what happens with the church. When I make the personal decision to opt into Jesus and follow him, I become part of the bigger organization that is known as the church. It's a personal choice that I identify with that then makes me part of the family as well. You can't be a Christian and not be part of the church. The church is big. It's universal. It's impossible. If you're, part, if you're a Jesus follower, you're part of the church. But then it gets a little bit more narrow, or second point. Participation in the church is a corporate effort. You see, you can identify with Jesus and be part of the church global, but also identify with church and not participate in the church local. This is what I want us to, to nail home. There's a lot going on in these verses here. Look at verses 5 and 6 with me real quick. Verse 5 and 6 in Ephesians chapter 3. Paul says the Gentiles are, are co-heirs. So again, that's this idea of the, the Jews and the Gentiles, and now they're being brought together through the church. They're members of the same body, partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So Gentiles and 
Jews, Ephesians 2.14, the dividing wall is down. Now we get to be part of the church. Congratulations. If you're sitting in this room, you're a Gentile. And because of Jesus, now you can be part of this organization. But notice at the end of verse 6 how he transitions. He says, now, because this has been formed, we're co-heirs now. Church is formed. He says, we're part of the body and we're also partners in the promise. So when I'm saved, I become part of the church universal. We said that in point number one. But then I have to make the conscious decision to participate in a local expression of the global church. This is where a lot of times we miss this, guys. i got to be a part of a local expression of a global church. How's that work? I'm glad you asked. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Turn over there with me real quick. There's a corporate responsibility now for the Christian where you've got to participate in what God is doing locally. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12 to the Corinthian church. This church had a lot going on. They were a little bit messed up. They were getting some things wrong. So Paul writes this letter to help them understand. All right, now that we've got all these Christians, people that have come to faith in Christ, Jews and Gentiles, I want to show you now how they work together on the local scale. And that's where 1 Corinthians 12 comes in, how they participate together. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Paul says, now you're, you're the body of Christ, global, Right? I'm a Christian, so I'm part of the body of Christ global. But then the second half, he says, now you're individual members of it. That's local. There's a global expression that I'm part of because I follow Jesus, but then there's a local expression that I'm part of well, as well. Friends, listen to this. If you identify with global church, that's good if you're a Jesus follower, but you don't make the conscious decision to identify with a local congregation as well, that's a problem. And that's a blatant, like, disregard of what the scripture clearly teaches. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 25, Paul says, um, so that there'd be no division in the body, and then look at the second part, but that the members would have the same concern. That, that invokes participation to care for other Christians, right? You've you got to participate in what he's doing. The same concern for each other. So we're bound together by the gospel. That's what gets us part of the organization called the church globally. But then the participation, what keeps us strong in that faith, is being involved in the local church. That links us together as Christians. This fascinated me this week, and I've heard this before, but it was a good reminder. In the New Testament, over 75 times, the writers use the phrase, one another. One another. Over 75 times. Upwards of, some, some writers actually say it's been over 100 times. And that phrase, one another, if you translate it uh, like a really direct translation means of the same kind. So to do something to somebody of the same kind, one another. So for example, Paul says in Romans 12 verse 10 that we are to love one another. So, so put that in, again, very direct translation. It means I'm to love other people of the same kind as me, is, is what that verse literally means in its most literal sense. What, what does that mean in context? It means Christians are supposed to love other Christians of the same kind, Christian, Christian, Jesus follower, local church context. How do I do that? How do I love other Christians well? Where, where can I do that? Where am I supposed to do it? Local church. Local church. He says in Ephesians 5.21 that i got to be accountable to one another. So be accountable to those of the same kind as me. Where do I do that? Paul makes the case, 1 Corinthians 12, that happens in the local church. i got to be part of the local body of Christ. Let me give you a few more of these if you want to write some of these down. 75 of them. I'm not going to go through all of them because you'll leave. All right? Here we go. I got to serve one another. Galatians 5. How do I do that? Local church. I got to help one another. Hebrews 3. How do I do that? Local church. 
Encourage one another. Romans 14, how do I do that? Local church. Instruct one another. I've got to confess to one another. James 5, I've got to sing to one another. All right, some of y'all, let's just get this out of the way. Um, please don't take that one too literally because I've heard y'all sing. So <laughs> praise team, y'all can do that one. The rest of us, we'll just, we'll just like whisper sing, all right? We'll do that. Comfort one another. 1 Thessalonians 4. Be kind to one another, Ephesians 4.32. Carry one another's burdens. How do I do that? Context of the local church. Friends, that means that if, if Scripture is true, which we believe it is, I think that's why you're here today, is that if the Bible is saying that over 75 times that there's these one another commands that I need to follow, that if you are not actively involved in participating in the life of a local church body, that there's 75 commands of God that you cannot be obedient to. Does that make sense? I've got to be involved in the local church so that I can be obedient to God's word. And that's why we have the local church expression on Sunday. That's good. We have the expression of the local church in homes throughout the week. Why do we do those things? Mission opportunities. Because we realize that sometimes um, life gets in the way, things happen, and we need to find other avenues to link arms and participate in the local church body. Scripture is so abundantly clear that following Jesus is not meant to be done alone, but we have to do it in the context of corporate, together, being together as Christians. So we identify with the church universal. That's faith in Jesus. We identify with the church corporately. That's local body. But what's the ultimate goal of Jesus forming? Excuse me, the church. It's number three. The purpose of the church is missional. It's missional. We've been, we've been involved in the rescue mission of Jesus, and then we go and share that with other people. Paul says in verse 7 of Ephesians 3 that I was made a servant of the gospel. By God's gift of grace that was given to me by the working of his power. Listen, because we've been saved by the gospel, we're now servants of the gospel. We've got the good news, so we tell other people. The grace has been extended, and we extend it to other people. right? So it's just like this domino effect. It's come to me, and I'm passing it along to reach it further into the world. Saved people tell people. Paul says in verse 8 that we are tasked with proclaiming the incalculable riches of Christ. Your Bible might say the treasures of Christ. Friends, hear me. This is almost a cliche statement, but when you have a valuable gift, you want to tell other people about it and give it to them. I think of a Wednesday when I was sitting with my Mormon friends and we're asking all of these questions back and forth, back and forth, and I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere with them. And when that young man leaned over the table and he says, what do I have to do to be saved in what you believe? My, I mean, I was grinning from ear to ear because that is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me when Jesus saved me and for him to ask me, what do I have to do to get part of that? What would you say? I'm like, come on, dog, let's do this. Like, I'm ready. I was so excited. That's the goal of the church. That's what we're called to do. That's the purpose of why we gather, to tell people that you're an enemy of God, but you can be a friend of God because of what Jesus did on that cross. Friends, God's plan to reach the world is the gospel. God's avenue to execute that plan is the local church, and there's no plan B. We're the plan. God's plan is the gospel. We're the executors of that plan, and there's no plan B. We're plan A. There's no other option. God chose to entrust us for us to be messengers of the gospel, mystery of his grace, administration of all these things, incalculable riches of Christ given to us to tell other people. The most haunting phrase, and we'll land the plane here, 
that I think about literally every single day when I get up in the morning is if, if for some reason Living Hope Columbus ever closed, would anybody notice? Would anybody around here know that we were gone? Except for maybe we're not pounding signs into the street at 7 in the morning. Would anybody notice that we ever closed doors and left the community? And I think when we get this church thing right, where it's, it's more than just I'm identifying like with the global church, but I'm actually like participating in the life of a local body for my benefit, for God's glory, and for the benefit of other people. When I get that part right, and then I, I choose then to live on mission because the incalculable riches of Christ are not something I should keep to myself, but something I should deliver to other people because they're valuable and people need them. If we live that, I think people would notice that we're gone. But if all we do is just simply just gather on Sundays, we enjoy our cruise trip, but we don't really care about our destination, yeah, we can just close up shop and nobody will care. I love this church. I wrote this down last night. I love this church. We've seen Jesus change lives in this church. I firmly believe, and I've told people all over the country this, that I believe as a congregation we are walking in the middle of a miracle right now. Right, man, I'm telling you, we'll walk in the middle of a miracle, but we've just scratched the surface of what God could and will do in our congregation. So why are, we, why are we a church that is for the church? Because we believe that the local church is God's way that he's going to reach the world. So three questions of application, and we're done. First off, am I part of the church? That's the idea of, am I following Jesus? Watch this. You can be in the church but not be in Christ, but you can't be the other way around. If you're in Christ, you are in the church. Sometimes we get that mixed. Sometimes we think that because we go to church, we're in Christ, but it's, it's the opposite. I'm going to be in Christ first, and then I identify with the organization. Am I participating in the church? Am I, am I, that's our second one. Am I participating in the church? Am I, am I linking arms with other believers in the context of, of the local body so that for their benefit and my benefit, so people can see the gospel actually lived out, so I can obey the commands to love one another, serve one another, honor one another, all of those things. Then lastly, am I on mission as part of the church? Friends, we are a gospel organization first, social club second. If all we do is gather just to hang out, who cares? It's, it's, it's useless. But if we live on mission and then we do that as the secondary effort of our church, that's awesome. That's awesome. So we've got to be gospel-centered first. We're for the church. We always equip and send the local church to live on mission. That's what we do. That's why we do it. And that's where we're heading with this. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you're good. You're kind. You're gracious. Father, thank you so much for your word, for our time in it this morning. God, I pray that your word would change our hearts. God, if we're honest, each one take that next step. Father, maybe it's that step to follow Christ. Maybe it's that step to participate more. Maybe it's that step to live on mission. We can all take another step towards you. And I pray that we do that today. Father, thanks for your word, God. I thank you that it's alive, it's acting, active, and that it changes lives. And Jesus, I pray now as we sing your praises this morning, um, God, that you would just incline your ear from heaven to hear us. And Father, that our singing would be a sweet sound to you. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray these things.